I was kind of doing a whole life reassessment and thinking like, well, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And I just kind of realized, you know what? I don't know that my heart is totally in my medical practice anymore. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Katrina Ubell. I am a pediatrician by training, and I worked in a general practice that was very successful for over 10 years. And during that time, I struggled a lot. (laughs) I struggled with my weight. I struggled with just my experience of my job. I had amazing patients, and on paper, it looked so great, but I definitely felt a stagnation. I felt a lack of growth. So after thinking through her options, she made the radical decision to leave her career and retire early which people don't do, by the way, <laughs> like most people. <laughs> you don't just take this practice that you've built up for 10 years that's amazing and walk away from it, but that's what I ended up doing. At 40 years old, after leaving a stable career that she was supposed to love, the ultimate question for Katrina was, what next? I actually was introduced to life coaching and in just a couple of sessions learned some tools that absolutely blew my head wide open. I mean, I literally remember after the first call running downstairs and telling my husband, listen to this. Like, I was so excited about it and so amazed. It changed my whole life. And at this point, the light bulb turned on. So I learned to become a coach and lost 55 pounds at the same time and actually solved my overeating problem. But she wasn't done there. After I had such a great experience, I thought, you know, I think there might be some other women physicians out in practice who might want this help too. Like I couldn't just keep it to myself and just be like, well, I solved it, you know, suckers, like you guys gotta suffer yourselves. And it's here that Katrina's business, Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, was born. And before I knew it, I had more clients than I knew what to do with, and the business has just grown from there. And so that's been four years now. In this episode, we talk about how Katrina has used podcasting to build her business and fill her client pipeline. At first, it was more just like brand awareness, but then I saw how quickly all my, we call them mini sessions, but basically my little sales calls, like they filled up. I was months booked out. How to face down difficult decisions when you're not happy with your current circumstances. I tend to get into that solutions focused place eventually. And I'm like, okay, that was enough complaining. Great. So now what are you going to do about it? The differences in working for someone else versus being self-employed. When you work for someone else, it's really easy to blame other people when you're unhappy, right? It's like, they're the problem, it's their fault, getting mad at other people and thinking that you're really right or justified in that anger and that blame. And when it's your own business, you have only yourself to blame if you don't like what you've created. and how she's able to have so much more impact through the work she does now than in her former career. I really do think about my reach as not just the doctors that I impact. I really think about it as everybody they take care of is the reach. Katrina aims high and moves fast, hitting the multi-seven-figure mark in less than four years, while also racking up over three million podcast downloads in a very niche market. You might think that she's just a natural entrepreneur, But that was far, far from the case. I had never wanted to have a business ever a day in my life. But I thought, you know, I mean, I guess I could give it a try. I mean, that was literally my level of commitment was I guess I could give it a try. (laughs) In fact, for a long time, she actually actively resisted the idea of owning a business entirely. So to start off, I wanted to understand why it took her so long to come around to the idea of working for herself and how she thinks about it now. I never had anybody in my life that was close to me who owned a business who seemed 
to enjoy it at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I had some high school jobs working like at a flower shop and at an apple cider mill kind of place. And the people, the adults running it, who owned it, seemed very stressed. They seemed to have a lot of cash flow problems. Sometimes my checks would bounce, things like that. It just seemed like a lot of work. And my dad had a very corporate job and it seemed like that was like the safe secure thing to do. Like you have the corporation taking on all the risk and giving you all the benefits. And I just never really questioned it. I kind of looked at it like, like, why would you want to do that to yourself to like own your own business? It seems so hard. I don't think I understood at all what the payoffs could be when it goes well mm. or when it's done well. I, I, I just never gave that any thought at all. I think I just looked at it like it's super risky and it's a lot of hard work. And I think I also had this idea that, you ha- that you're probably then working like 80 or 90 hours a week or something. Right. I was like, well, then I could have just stayed in residency if that's the kind of life that I wanted to have. Yeah. You know, why would I do that to myself? So now you've been doing this for a number of years. How does your current day-to-day life, uh, like how do you think about risk and how do you think about time commitment versus what you thought it would be, you know, 10 years ago, maybe? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the opposite of what I thought it would be. So uh, the first thing that has made a huge, massive difference for me is flexibility. I can't tell you the number of times where I was so stressed at the end of the day, trying to finish up and get out of the office because one of my kids had a concert at school or something, and I had to get across town and rush hour traffic. And it was so stressful. Like even if I set everything up, quote unquote, right to be able to leave on time, I still often couldn't leave on time. I just felt like if my kids were sick or something like that, like I was so stuck and now I have all the flexibility that I always wanted. I mean, that's been absolutely amazing. I work less than I did before. I work fewer hours because I'm able to be so much more focused with my own time. One thing I do just also want to mention that I did not realize when I was in practice, but I do now, is that I'm a total introvert. And so being in like the office all day long, going from patient to patient to patient to patient and seeing people in the hospital, it just takes a lot out of me. Can I do it? Yes. Can I do it well? Absolutely. But I would leave the office like completely drained. Like sometimes I felt like a zombie. Like I'd come home. I didn't even have the energy to put the kids to bed. Like Mm -hmm. I just wanted to sit on the couch and watch TV and eat sugar. Like I just had nothing left in me. I remember sometimes thinking, I wish I could just spend half the day in front of a computer and not talk to anybody. I would say that, right? And now I'm like, I get to do that. (laughs) And then when I do talk to people, I'm so excited to do it. I I still love people. I just don't think that I can be quote unquote on all day long like that. So that's totally changed. I now, I, I started off the business thinking, wouldn't it be amazing to make as much money as I made as a doctor? Like that would be so cool. I make so much more money than I could ever make as a pediatrician now working less than I did before. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it really is mind blowing that that's a possibility. And it's really just because your reach is greater than there's a certain number of people I can see in the office every day versus helping a bunch of doctors who then go and help all of those patients. Right. So it's way more people that you can touch and value that you can create. And that comes back to you monetarily, but, and, and the money's fun, but what's really great is feeling so connected to what I am doing to help people. And then the other thing I just want to mention is that I also am someone, like I mentioned, the stagnation that I felt before. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to 
become stagnant. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much to learn. I run this business totally by myself. I always say I knew no, like I knew less than nothing about running a business. I knew negative. And so I have had to learn everything. And I still like I just recently it was so proud of myself. My husband was like, so how do you have the business set up with taxes with the state? And I was like, I will tell you because I have it all figured out now finally. Like, And I actually remember and I have it written down someplace. And the idea of um, learning more about the nuts and bolts of the actual business, while hard at times has been fun. And then now I'm really working on company culture creating a business that my employees really love to work for, creating a really awesome environment for people to work. So I just look at it like it's just this constant ongoing growth opportunity, which isn't always easy and amazing. I'm making it sound like it's really fun. It's not always fun, (laughs) but it's totally worthwhile in the long run. Yeah. And we're going to get into some of that company culture stuff because that's something that I uh, get super excited about and think is really important for just growing a business. It oftentimes, I think it sounds like just a nice to have, but you know, one of my beliefs is that that's really essential for getting to the next level. You can kind of bootstrap yourself up to a certain level and then you really need to focus. I mean, you should be focusing on that stuff from the start, but, um, totally. We're going to talk about that more later in the interview, but, uh, you were talking about all the fun stuff right now. Obviously, when you were making this decision to leave the job, it was the opposite of fun, I would guess. Can you just uh, give us some context around, you know, what your life looked like and what some of the feelings were that led to you deciding like, okay, now's the time to do this? I mean, I just, I honestly, I felt undervalued. Um, I felt like I was contributing a lot and no one was noticing that or validating that. Now, in hindsight, I can see how much of that was just because of my thinking about it, (laughs) right? Like that was my, the meaning that my brain assigned to what was actually happening um, rather than it being like factual necessarily. I also really realized that I, I mean, I I never really thought about it, but I, I believe that it was a a quite sexist environment Mm -hmm. that I just didn't even realize. I now like literally within the last couple of months, I've been like, oh my gosh, Totally. Like I wasn't trying to just be like the best me, (laughs) the best version of myself. I was trying to be like one of the guys. And I think that is one reason why it didn't work well for me because I'm not a guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, and, and so I think that there are just, there are a lot of nuances there that I had no, no awareness of at the time, but I felt, I felt really stuck. I felt like I didn't have much to look forward to. It felt kind of just like a hamster wheel, just like same thing, different day. Yeah. And I felt pretty powerless, honestly. Yeah. And well, and I think so many doctors specifically, but a lot of people in the health and wellness space are like achievers and doers and type A people. And so especially when you, once you get on that hamster wheel and start feeling that, you know, some people are happy doing that and they get so much fulfillment out of seeing the change that they're able to create in their patients' lives. And you know, for some people that is great and you can have a long and happy career doing that. And some people you get into that and you realize, oh, this is like any other job and this isn't necessarily what I signed up for. And I know that you talked about like coming home and just being wiped and not having the energy to put the kids to bed and all these types of things. So if that was your kind of reality, what kind of pushed you to be like, okay, what are my other options here? There was something that happened at work where I made a request and that I felt was a, a very reasonable request. 
and the way it was responded to was just further evidence to me that nothing was ever going to change there. So we'll put it that way. So it was like, I already kind of knew that, but it was just like, in case it wasn't clear (laughs) here, it's not ever going to change. And I was honestly really angry. I was really, really angry. And so what ended up happening was one night I was having trouble sleeping because I was so angry. I was just in my head thinking about it. And I'm generally a very good sleeper. So this does not, this was very unusual. For me, it was very much a message of like, wow, this must really be bothering you. So it was two in the morning and I still couldn't sleep because I was just fuming. And so finally I had a thought, well, okay, if it's that bad, what are all of your options? I I tend to get into that solutions focused place eventually. And I'm like, okay, that was enough complaining. Mm -hmm. Great. So now what are you going to do about it, essentially? So I, in that moment, in the middle of the night, I was able to think of what felt like all the options. I think there were more options for me that I just wasn't even aware of were options. But at the time, I thought, well, you could go work for this hospital system. You could work for this place or that place. And I had what I felt like were good reasons why I didn't want to work at any of those places. And then I, but I was thinking like, what else could I do? I could work urgent care. I could do this and that. And then I had a thought, or you could retire early. And honestly, I don't even know where that came from. It was almost like, wait, who said that? Like, what? Like, you know, like, like, could I, I really, I remember thinking like, could I really do that? Because of course, like most people go into medicine, especially because of all the training that's required. Like you don't go into it to like dabble, you're thinking this is going to be your career. So I thought, well, I mean, I could work another 10 years and that would be a 20 year career. I could do this another 10 years. Okay. 20 years is respectable. That would be fine. And so that's how I got myself to sleep that night was going, I only have to do this 10 more years, which now in hindsight is kind of hilarious, right? 10 more years of this thing that you don't think is great, but I just let myself off the hook a little bit. So then I'd be retiring at like 50 instead of retiring at 65 or 70 or older. And so the next morning I told my husband, this is what I think I want to do. And he was like, okay, well, we'll still have, you know, kids in school, but that's fine. We can plan for that. So he was like on board. He's like, all right, that's fine. Well, once I opened that door for myself within two weeks, it went to two years Mm -hmm. to one year to six months. I was like, I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. I do. I just do not want to do this anymore. And I did leave it open to myself like that. I could go back or mm-hmm. find a different practice. Yeah. I was just going to take a break to sort myself out, basically, to just figure out what I wanted to do. One of the best pieces of advice I got when I was making the decision to leave my job and go full time working for myself was that while the decision might feel permanent and final, it really wasn't. If things didn't work out or if I didn't like working for myself as much as I thought I would, I could always go back and get another job. When we're facing big decisions like these, they can feel like life or death, but in reality, they're usually not. We almost always have more options than we might realize in the moment, and the consequences of choosing wrong are not as bad as we make them out to be. In Katrina's case, she definitely had some runway when it came to figuring out her next step. I am lucky in the sense that all of our student debt was paid off. You know, my husband was making enough money to support the whole family. We really didn't need my paycheck. Mm -hmm. We had renovated our home a few years prior and paid for all of it in cash. So that was all paid off. So we we really didn't have a lot of financial expenses that made doing something like this 
extra challenging, let's just say, right? Like I think somebody who is really living off of their income might need to think a little bit differently about it. They may need to really save up some sort of slush fund to carry them over. Or, and this is also a real possibility, downsize your life, right? Like maybe scale it down so that you're able to cover that. I'm hoping to bring a personal finance expert onto the podcast to talk about this in more depth. But lifestyle inflation, where our spending increases along with our income, is real. And when you're looking to take a leap, like going into business for yourself, it can really limit your options. Again, we often have a way of thinking that our lifestyles and expenses are set in stone, that downsizing our homes, cars, and possessions is moving backwards. But sometimes, taking a temporary step backwards makes taking a huge jump forward much easier. When I was 24, I took a year off to travel, bicycling across Europe and then backpacking through Southeast Asia. I remember so many of my friends saying that they wished they could do the same. In reality, they could. I was working a $15 an hour job in Vancouver, one of the most expensive cities in the world. Most of my friends made far more than that. But for the year and a half leading up to that trip, I lived with roommates, I biked instead of owning a car, I rarely ate out, and I didn't collect stuff. A few years later, when I was transitioning to working for myself, I again scaled back to lengthen the runway that I had to make the business successful. Scaling back can be uncomfortable, and we might even feel embarrassed about it in the moment. But the payoffs, whether it's a year spent traveling or never working for someone else again, are worth that temporary sacrifice. But back to Katrina. Thanks to her husband's income, she had a runway. But I was curious about whether leaving her career after all the time and money she had invested in getting to where she was, was giving her second thoughts. That's a lot of sunk cost to overcome, right? Absolutely. I totally agree with you. In fact, other people brought that up to me. It wasn't really that much of an issue for me. (laughs) So this is kind of a silly way of comparison. But when it comes to like decluttering my house or getting rid of things, I don't look at it like this thing that I don't want has value sitting here. Like, I don't even think it has zero value if I don't want it. I think of it as having negative value. Like it's detracting from me. It's taking something from me because I don't want it. It's taking up space. I have to maintain it or clean it or keep it up or organize it or whatever. So I'm always super happy to get rid of things because I think of it as like, that's getting rid of the negative, but there's a sunk cost in those things too. Like it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if it's like some blouse that I bought for a lot of money. If it doesn't fit well, I don't like it. It's not comfortable. Like it's still of negative value to me. And so I did a lot of work around that thinking years prior. So when it came to this, I just looked at it like, well, I think I got out of this what I needed to get out of it. That was really the way I looked at it. Like it made me who I am. I mean, medical school is where I met my husband. So I'm not not mad that's yeah. where the, the, you know, the path took me. Um, but I, I really just kind of looked at it like you don't have to think of it as like, because I paid all that money on the front end, I'm committed and tied down to doing the same career forever. I also am somebody who has kind of always kind of made changes. Like, I don't think it was Mm -hmm. totally surprising that I did this in the sense that I went to college to be an engineer and was full on doing engineering. And then middle of college, I was like, actually, I think I want to be a doctor. So I hustled really hard to get in the extra credits and things that I needed to apply for medical school. 
applied to medical school thinking I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Then I get to my surgery rotations in third year and I'm like, actually, eh, I don't know about surgery. I think maybe I want to be a pediatrician. My mom was like, what? This is all you wanted to do. I'm like, no, I know. And I could do it. I just don't want to. And so just always kind of giving myself that space to reconsider. I always say I reserve the right to change my mind, you know, and that's kind of what happened. I was like, I think I'm going to take my right to change my mind. I don't think I want to do this anymore. Yeah. That's one of the things that I'm most grateful uh, growing up. My mom, the longest she worked a job was probably two years and she just got bored with things and made switches and went from industry to industry and all these different jobs. And so for me, that was very normal. And I had zero pressure to commit to one thing forever. And I think a lot of people do not have that. And I think that that's, it becomes really difficult when your whole life track has been working towards this one thing, you get there and you're like, uh, okay, this isn't necessarily what I thought it was going to be, but I've invested 30 years of, you know, thought and effort and time into it. So I guess I'm just going to do this for, you know, the rest of my life, for the rest of my career. When yeah. that is sad, if that first 30 years defines the next 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've heard people call that the golden handcuffs, especially mm-hmm. for doctors, because like I've heard women talk about how their whole medical practice, like it takes up so much of their family's lives that they become the primary breadwinner and their spouse either stays home with the kids or just, you know, handles the household or maybe has kind of like a part-time gig on the side type of thing. So they're working so hard and they want to do something else, but they feel like they can't because now they've got the house that matches the salary Mm -hmm. and the car payments and the kids go to private school and they've built this whole life that they feel like they can't extricate themselves from because what else could they do that's going to make them that kind of an income? Yeah, totally. So continuing on with kind of the mindset side of things, I know that one of the things you talk about with your weight loss work with your clients is how so much of, you know, what all of us learn about diet and about how we eat comes from our childhood and our our previous experiences growing up. I'm curious on a bit of a different level, uh, if there were any experiences in your employment work that created negative kind of mindsets or habits that you had to overcome when switching to entrepreneurship. And so these things that influenced you by being an employee, by growing up in a certain culture as a, you know, working adult that then you had to reset and recalibrate when you were working for yourself. Well, I mean, a big part of it was when you work for someone else, it's really easy to blame other people when Mm -hmm. you're unhappy, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) It's like, they're the problem. It's their fault getting mad at other people and thinking that you're really right or justified in that anger and that blame. And when it's your own business, you have only yourself to blame if you don't like what you've created. (laughs) So that's, that's a huge part of it. I would say for sure. You know, I, I have to say though, I think that there are more things in common for me being an entrepreneur and running a business with what I was doing. I basically, when I was in practice, was running kind of like a mini business. I just mm. didn't really realize it. Like I was the brand, right? And I would sell, in quotes, patients, families on bringing their children to come see me. And I had a reputation to uphold and I wanted to provide good value it just, I, there was an outside organization that was doing like the billing and the receiving of the money mm-hmm. and, and some things like that. But I think, you know, from a mindset approach for me, I, I just was so dissatisfied so often and it was just really easy to make it all about everyone else and then not take ownership for which parts were 
from me, which was yeah. most of it, yeah. <laughs> if we're being honest. <laughs> I, I think that's probably true for most of us. <laughs> okay, so you left clinical medicine in 2015 and you started building your coaching business. In 2017, I believe you started the podcast, which is Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, which has gone on to become an incredibly popular show despite its very niche audience. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious for context, how many downloads are you getting in an average month now? That's a really good question. I do not know that okay. <laughs> Terrible. I don't, I don't know my metrics. I did actually just have to look last night at my total downloads. Are you interested in that? I don't know. It's okay. 3.3 million. (laughs) Okay. So that is fantastic. We we work with a lot of podcasters and there are a few who are in the multi-million mark or who who have even passed the million download mark, but that is not common. That is not something that most podcasters will ever get to. So obviously you've had a lot of success here, but before you started the podcast, you actually started out blogging for, it looks like around six months. And uh, I went back and looked and looks like you had about 24 posts. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you started out writing, what prompted that transition to podcasting as your primary medium? and, And how did you think about it as you were starting it? Yeah. So again, remember, I knew nothing about business, right? So I was just like, someone tell me what I should do step by step, and I will do that. I'm a good, a good student, good rule follower. So what I saw was you should start a blog and you shouldn't go right to podcasts. I, I was a podcast listener and I liked them. It felt like a lot to me. Like it seemed like kind of it would be a lot of work. But the reason why blogging at first was recommended was to be able to find your voice, to really figure out how you speak to the clients that you're trying to reach and attract and really dialing in your message. And so I took the opportunity to do that. And, you know, honestly, by the end of my blogging, like I could bang out a a pretty decent blog in about an hour. I mean, it was like it really was not that big of a deal for me. The main reason why I switched was when I was thinking about who I was wanting to attract to me. She was not a blog reader. <laughs> like I even if she wanted to read blogs, she just really didn't have the time. And I knew how I like to listen to podcasts, which was out walking, in the car, cleaning, like making kind of a tedious task at home more fun, folding laundry, like things like that. Oh, but I'll listen to this podcast that I love, so that will make it better. And I figured, you know, I know how busy I was when I was in practice. I have a feeling that they would prefer to listen, but I also felt like I had a harder time conveying my personality through writing than, I mean, and I can write, it's fine. I just felt like by being able to speak, I would be able to show my listeners more about myself, about who I am. And I felt like that would help them to make the leap to sign up with me more easily. So they would build that no like and trust factor that everybody talks about up by listening to me so that when they were ready to go, they're like, how can I pay you versus like, wait, what's your deal? And what are you all about? And do I even like you? I don't really know. But the way that I got the confidence to actually start a podcast, because I, I thought about it for months before I actually really did it, was my mentor had decided to allow some of us coaches, and I was really a brand new baby coach still at this point. She allowed us the opportunity to record a 15 minute or so little podcast snippet on something, whatever we wanted to teach on that we thought her audience would be interested in. And if she liked it, she would tack it on to the end of some of her podcasts. And so I remember seeing that that was an opportunity. My first thought was like, oh, I'm totally going to do that. My second thought was, wait, 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 no, maybe the next time she offers it, like I'm way too new. No, this is for people who are further along than me. And then my third thought was, 
Well, that's crap. No, I, I'm, I have something to offer. I'm sure I could find something that would be of interest. So then I thought, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be, because there are all these other amazing coaches who've been doing this much longer than me and are much more skilled than me. What I'm going to do then is I'll just be the first one to send it in. So then she won't have anyone to compare me to. <laughs> and so hopefully she'll say yes. And if not, it gives me time to improve it before she decides she's done. So within two days, I had it recorded and submitted. And I thought, okay, I'm the first one in. Now it's out there. It's out of my control now. And what ended up happening then was other coaches saw that I was the first one to submit it. And they started asking me, hey, can I listen to yours? I was like, well, sure. I mean, at this point, it's already out there. Why not? And I got really good feedback. And a few of them said, hey, you should really start a podcast. This is really good. And I thought, yeah, okay. But in my mind then, I kept having this belief that I had to do it all myself. Like Pat Flynn had this thing at the time, like this big, like, this is how you do your own podcast. And it's really not hard. And I was just like, I could just write a blog in an hour, or I could spend a whole day writing, recording this thing and editing it. And I also knew if I was being totally honest with myself, I knew that sound quality was going to be really important to my listener. Like if the sound quality wasn't good or it wasn't balanced or there was a lot of background noise, like I knew that I didn't have that long to gain the trust and listenership of my audience. Like if I, if it was kind of janky, they were just going to be like, no, I I can't even with this girl. Like it's not good. So it needed to sound professional and I didn't know that I would be able to do that. But I looked at other people I knew who had podcasts and they were doing it themselves. And I was just like, but I have to do it myself, but I don't want to do it myself. And so I just was in this back and forth of not doing it. And then it was months later, I found out that there are actually companies that can actually help you with this. (laughs) And I was like, oh. And so at that time, I was bringing some money into the business, but I was not paying myself yet. I hadn't paid us back our initial investment, you know, like a personal investment. Mm -hmm. So it was multiple thousands of dollars to sign up with this company and get it all produced and get a few episodes out there. And I was like, oh man. So I remember telling my husband, like, listen, I found this company. It seems really, really good, but it's not cheap. And he's like, oh, you know, how much? And I told him, and he's, it was right before Christmas. He's like, well, do you want a podcast for Christmas? And I was like, you know what? I think I do. I think I want a podcast for Christmas because if I sign up, then I will do it. Then I will have deadlines. And if I'm accountable to someone else, like then I will do it. And so that's what I did. I signed up and we just had our date and I had to get over myself basically and get it out there. And I've never produced it myself ever. I always just had them continue to produce it. And it's just some of the best money that I could ever spend, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think so many people starting anything, whether it's a podcast or anything else, you think like, oh, well, I don't know how to do this, but I need to do it myself. Like nobody does this. I don't know anybody who who offers editing services or maybe it's even like graphic design or something like that. That is a, a huge one where it's just a bad idea to do it yourself if you're not a designer, <laughs> because right. like you're talking about with uh, first impressions and people seeing, you know, if the, the audio is a little janky, if your design is not good, that is somebody lands on your website and... Uh, I totally agree. And and people have always heard this, you know, you either have time or you have money. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like, I think that's so true. You know, like you can do it yourself. Like you can learn how to do better job at graphic design. Like 
That is not my zone of genius at all. I do not have an eye for that. I know what I like, but I can't create it myself. But I, what I did have was money, not like an exorbitant amount that I wanted to spend. I was, I always was saying, I was like, with my personal money, I'm, I'm much more willing to just spend it on whatever. With the business, I was always really careful and like, okay, what is this going to do for the business? But why spend so much time, especially because it was minimal, right? I had kids in school. I really didn't have 40 plus hours a week to work on this business. Like, why not have someone who's an expert do this and take that all off my plate so that I really can go out there and get clients who are going to pay me money and do the part that only I can do? Yeah. So when you're first starting out, how did you view the podcast's role in your business? And has that changed at all as you've been doing it now a number of years? You know, it's at first, I really just thought of it as I just want people to get to know about me that I'm out there. Mm -hmm. The way I had gotten some initial clients was just on some Facebook groups. Like, you know, Facebook groups have all these different rules and you can't really promote yourself. So I did what I could like by posting a blog post if I could and trying to offer some value uh, in different places. And so I got, you know, a few clients that way, but I thought, you know what, if I have a podcast and people like it, then they will share it. So here's the thing. I mean, I think people do this just in general, but within the medical community, for sure, with women physicians, if you and I are both female doctors, let's just pretend, and you come to me and you're like, listen, Katrina, I found the best handbag ever. You have to get it. I'm like, awesome. Is it on Amazon? What's it called? I'm buying it right now. Like there's this level of trust from someone else's word of mouth. Like if someone else has already vetted something for you, it's just this idea of like, awesome, whatever it is, mm -hmm. like this, this is the thing I need to do. I'm, I'm doing it. I trust you guys to tell me what I and know what I need because you really understand me in my life. So there's a very, very large Facebook group for women physician mothers that you can't promote yourself in. And I thought, you know, if I can just get somebody to mention me in there, mention this podcast, like I think it's really going to help. And I probably had maybe four or five episodes up when I had the first mention and within 48 hours, I had 10,000 downloads. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Like I knew that they wanted this. They just didn't know they wanted it yet. And so then I would go in there and people would say, what's a podcast? How do I find a podcast? Like what's a podcast app? And I would go in, in the threads and, and answer and help them and look for this and, oh, you're on Droid. Okay. You can download this app or look for this thing and, and try to help them to be able to listen. So at first it was more just like brand awareness, but then I saw how quickly all my, we call them mini sessions, but basically my little sales calls, like they filled up. I was months booked out. And I thought, you know what, like, this is actually marketing here. Like I was way more successful and I still have been with my podcast than even with ads or anything like that. So word of mouth and the podcast are really my two main marketing streams. And even when people come in from a Facebook ad, because my program is higher ticket, it's not an impulse buy really for like right. anybody. And so they need to get to know me and what I'm all about and to see if it's a good fit. And the podcast is a way that they do that. And so I really do try to show my personality on it. It's not just like information conveyance, you know, yeah. like anybody can do that. It's helping them to know who I am and how I can help them and then giving them results ahead of time. So that's the way I've always approached my podcast is giving them super awesome, great stuff for free. I've had people who have lost so much weight just listening to my podcast and applying what I teach and just thinking about it from like the more I can help, the better. And then a small subset of these people will actually want my assistance and will pay me money for that. Thinking about it 
from that standpoint. So I, I really do think about it as my main marketing stream. For sure, it's the way that I warm up audiences. There's just so much that I love about Katrina's approach to growing her audience. For one, it's obvious that she was super clear going in on exactly who her ideal client was. Because she knew that, she knew exactly where to find them, the content to create for them, and how to get that content in front of them. Secondly, she understood that for the program she was selling, she needed a way to build trust with her audience before they were going to buy. This is true of most high-ticket offers, but it's particularly true when it comes to health and wellness-related products and services. When any of us are thinking about our health, we want to know that we can trust the person who's going to be walking us through the solution. This is one of the reasons why podcasting works so well for wellness experts when it comes to filling their client pipelines. I completely agree. When I think of all the coaches that I know who are making, you know, seven figures and above, they all have podcasts, but they're good podcasts. And I agree with you. I mean, I think it's not really unique to doctors that, especially in the weight loss arena, generally my clients, this is not their first rodeo with weight loss. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've tried things before and they haven't been successful. So they're automatically going to be skeptical. Like, who is this chick? I got to make sure. And then, you know, as a doctor too, they got to make sure I'm not like spouting off like medically unsound things or saying a bunch of stuff that's too out there for them. Like they got to make sure that this is really the right fit and that it resonates with them and a podcast. I don't know a better way than a podcast. I agree with you. And it's so unregulated. Like you literally get to do whatever you want, which is amazing. Uh, so for anyone who's looking to start a show, obviously the, the first two questions are, you know, how do I grow it? And then how do I make money off of it? Most people who are listening to this show, you know, they would be starting a podcast as a marketing channel, kind of like you talked about. So you obviously had some fantastic early success with the podcast being shared in that group. And then, uh, mentioned that word of mouth was a huge factor. Has that been like the main driving force or, or have you experimented with other ways of, you know, collaborations or, or doing other things to grow the show? You know, I haven't done a ton of collaborations. Um, I will bring on some guests from time to time, but that hasn't been um, a huge part of it. I think I've just mostly focused on providing really, really good value. And the other thing that I've done is I, I do talk a lot about weight loss, but I address issues that really can help all doctors. Like for instance, I did an episode that was very popular on electronic medical records because this is something that we doctors love to complain about and it's just like the thorn in our side. And so where that factors into weight loss and overeating is when you're frustrated with your charting or you don't want to do it, you can go get a snack as a way to entice yourself to do it or to avoid doing it. It's a distraction, things like that. So it, it is applicable to my topic, but whether you struggle with food or not, if you don't have positive thoughts about the way you chart, it's going to impact you negatively as a doctor. So that episode gets shared by so many different people. It it, it just, it increases the spread because it's, I'm kind of like dipping my toe outside of my specific niche. I still bring up the topic, but it's helping more and more of the doctors so that there's just more of a chance of word of mouth. Or like, I was listening to this thing and I don't have a weight problem, but listen, like this podcast is great. You got to listen to this. And then it just, you know, it gets um, spread more and more. During uh, COVID, I did another, or like when COVID was really at its initial, the first height, <laughs> the first surge, um, I did a podcast on compassion fatigue and that one's been shared a ton as well. And that of course can help any, really any helper mm-hmm. who is feeling like they're in that place. So I really just have focused on giving really, really good help really good results and then making offers, you know, just like telling people how I can help them if they want more help. 
Yeah. So what does a typical offer look like? Is that something that's in your podcast that is directly to a paid product or is there a kind of free uh, opt-in and then get them on the funnel on the back end? So now I have a couple of different free opt-ins um, that, you know, in the beginning, I just had like my little quick start guide kind of thing. That's just my, my one freebie that I promoted in the beginning, I actually promoted getting on the phone with me for a call mm-hmm. because I was still doing um, calls like that. Now, what I mostly am doing is promoting any webinars that I'm doing, um, you know, any kind of promotional things like that, where of course I teach them really good stuff, but then make an offer at the end. I do usually offer or tell them that I will be telling them on that call also their next opportunity to work with me in case they're not, you know, not everybody understands like what webinars are, right? Like this is a trade-off. I teach you something good and then I get to tell you about something you can pay for. So just letting them know that that's available to them as well. And then usually I'm otherwise, when I don't have a webinar to promote, I'm usually just promoting different freebies that I have, different things um, that can help them. I actually also have what I call the podcast roadmap because I have... I think I recorded last week number 187 or something. So, you know, you find a podcast and it's like, oh, this is good, but this is so many episodes. Like, where do I even start? I don't even know what to do. If they start at the beginning, that's great, but then they're not hearing what I'm marketing right now, right? So it's like they're hearing the old stuff. So what we did was we pulled 30 episodes that we felt were the best ones to get you started. And so the way I promote it is listen to one episode a day, apply what I teach you by the end of 30 days, you're definitely going to start noticing results. So it kind of just gives them a place to start to sort of feel like they're being guided in consuming the podcast so that they know what to do and how to take advantage of all the resources that are there. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that's so valuable to new listeners who might be overwhelmed and might not know where to start. I know oftentimes I'll just go scrolling back through and try to see from the titles like, oh, what's what's interesting to me? Um, mm-hmm. But if you're able to kind of give them that guided map right off the bat, they're going to have a better experience. They're going to get results in, in your case for their weight loss journey. And they're going to be, you know, intentionally guided through all this content that is just perfectly applicable for where they're at. And so, you know, once they get through that, of course, they're going to continue listening and go deeper into the back catalog. And obviously you have offers and um, opt-ins scattered throughout that roadmap. So they're, you know, firmly uh, in your your kind of content ecosystem by that point. So uh, exactly. I really love that. Yeah, it's it's worked really, really nicely for us. We've talked a lot about the value of podcasting in this episode, but you don't actually need your own show to grow your audience. One of the most reliable ways that I've found to grow your audience fast is by leveraging other people's audiences through podcast guesting. When done right, guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your content. I've put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. So I'd love to transition a little bit into talking about the nuts and bolts of your business today. Uh, can you give a bit of an overview of what the team looks like? So we're actually growing right now. Um, I have two assistants. One is an online business manager. She started off with me as my uh, virtual assistant. And she, as we've been together, she has gotten her online business manager certification. So she works for me uh, about half time, about 20 hours a week. And then I have a full-time virtual assistant as well. And then I have one full-time coach who's employed with me and three contracted coaches who help me with um, delivering the program. 
I am tomorrow interviewing two people for a coaching position. So we definitely are growing and needing some more coaches. So um, so we'll be taking on more of those people soon and moving more to an employment kind of a um, situation versus contract. That's something that you know, in the U.S., it's state by state. In my state, it's a very pro-worker state, which means that it's actually pretty difficult for me to hire a coach who does something similar to me or someone else in the business as a contractor legally. Mm-hmm. So it really is recommended that I hire them as employees. And then I have a whole array of other contractors who work with me. I have a podcast production team. I have a CFO bookkeeper. I have a PR person, a publicity person I work with. I just started working with a copywriter on some projects. Um, just a lot of like little kind of piecemeal. I have, you know, obviously like Facebook ads management, you know, graphic designer, things like that. So I just don't have the need to bring any of those people or those roles on as like a, a full-time kind of a position yet. So we still cobble those things together. So we kind of mentioned it briefly at the start of this episode about the importance of team culture. And so as you're bringing on these new people, both full-time and contractors, what's your kind of vision for the culture and how do you go about actually, you know, making that a reality among the team who I imagine is remote? Yes. Yeah, we're all remote. So it's important to me to really care (laughs) about each other and It's important to me to have a work environment where people want to come to work every day, knowing that obviously we all have our ups and downs and, you know, we might have our struggles and things like that. But I remember the way I used to dread going to work and I don't want anybody working for me who is having that experience. Like I always think about it like I don't want anybody working for me who isn't just delighted to be there, to to have the opportunity, who isn't really doing their zone of genius work, like just whatever is the best thing for them. And so I really think about it, especially from like the more core group of of folks who work with me, that it's much more of like a partnership. Like I'm the leader for sure. And I, I make the final decisions, but I really like to be very open to feedback, to ideas. It's really important to me that people feel safe to be able to express concerns express ideas. It doesn't mean we're going to do all of them, you know, or that we're necessarily going to change things, but they, they feel like heard and listened to and that, you know, I'm open to things like that. It's also important to me that everybody feels supported and seen. So it's gotten to a point where I can't really individually be touching base with everybody, but now we're creating more of a structure where like I touch base with these people regularly, then this person touches base with those people regularly. So I think that's a big piece of it for me is just a kind of a mutual respect and partnership. I always think of it as like, these are our clients and I want them owning it in that way too. Like that sense of ownership of the work that we do and the impact that we make. They're not just a cog in the wheel, which is how I often felt when I was back in practice. Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, people who transition to becoming entrepreneurs, uh, that has been one of the, the driving forces for them to leave employment to start their own thing. So one of the things that I really love to talk about and have had some great conversations on this podcast so far uh, has been around the responsibility of businesses uh, as whether we're solopreneurs or whether we have a team around us, uh, what our responsibility is to our broader communities and even the world beyond just the deliverable that we have. So I'm curious how you think about, you know, what what your responsibility is to your community and how you can operate in an, an ethical and responsible way. Yeah, oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I I really do think about my reach as not just the doctors that I impact. I really think about it as everybody they take care of is the reach. 
right? right. So yeah. like nobody wants to be cared for by a doctor who's unhappy, who's mm-hmm. burnt out, who doesn't want to be there, right? Like if you're the patient, you don't get as good of care when that's the mental state that your doctor is in. So I really think about it like the impact of this work is so broad, it influences all aspects of society. And I have clients all over the world. It's not even just in the US or North America. So so I really think about it that way. I've been spending a lot of time thinking, again, just like as the business grows, I always feel like the business is growing up. Like I, I sort of feel like we're like a young adult right now, you know, but like we're we're still maturing and thinking about just for instance, like I, I recently uh, initiated something where uh, up to a certain dollar amount, I would match any personal contribution that my employees um, or contractors would make, especially to any kind of like Black Lives Matter type of organization. And then I was like, well, I should be doing that all the time for everything. It doesn't have to just be just be that kind of thing, you know. So really thinking about like there's things that that maybe I think are important and that I want to focus on, but then the people who work for me, like it's important to me to support what they think is important as well. So there's that aspect. And then the other thing that I am really thinking about is just in terms of collaborations or just lifting up other business owners, right? It's just like the more that I build a platform and that I can share that platform with other people doing incredible work, like that only helps everybody. Right. I think that that's there's so much in there. And I think that uh, a lot of times we get selfish and protective over like we built this platform. And if we help anybody else up, that's going to erode our platform. And that's just it, it almost never works that way. And I think that if you're going in with this mindset of like, this is the vision for the world that I have, and this is what I'm working towards. If I can also help other people who are working towards that same vision, pull them up, like we're getting there faster and the world is becoming a better place because we're all working towards this uh, in unison kind of rather than just each of us doing our little thing kind of piecemeal. Exactly. Um, so I really love that kind of attitude of generosity and in supporting other people who, you know, sometimes you, you may even be able to take a view of it as like, these are kind of my competitors, but so often, especially, you know, with someone like you, who's gone so niche, there are very few competitors a lot of times. And like you're there's a few really... people who are doing exactly what I do. Yeah. in the way yeah. that I'm doing it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I just want to actually be super open here. That has not always been my mindset. Like this is something I'm working towards. So like you said, it can be hard to do that. I have definitely, I just want to be totally open and honest. If anybody is listening, going like, I don't know, I don't feel that way yet. <laughs> like there's definitely like working on that scarcity feeling like, mm-hmm. cause you know, in the beginning, like your, your business is just this little ember, right? And, and you worry that like, if you give someone else attention, it's just gonna, like the, the wind of them blowing by is going to you know, blow out the, that ember for you. But at a certain point, it's not the case anymore. And it's easy to tell yourself stories that it is the case that you really need to focus on yourself and only supporting yourself. But an abundant mindset feels so much better. (laughs) And it really is the truth of the, like scarcity is just a myth. And often it's just from the way we were raised. And for me, that was for sure the case. And so it's, it's something that I work toward and actively am working on. It's not just like, I, I don't just like wake up every morning with this mindset immediately every single time. So obviously you've had a lot of success, huge podcast, you're growing the team. And so things are really rolling right now, but I feel like everybody at every level, uh, there's something that's like scaring them on the horizon. So I'm curious no, about totally. <laughs> what, what that <laughs> might be right now. There's always something else. You never get quote unquote there where it's like mm-hmm. all better and great. 
Um, you know, so I am at a point now where I really would like to re-record my my initial program, my like, kind of entry program. It's um, it's going to be due for an update here pretty soon, and um, I'm excited about it. But also, I, I think there's a little bit of nerves around just like, will it be as good? Which of course it will be, but like you know, like just kind of nervousness around that, and like I'm really trying to be more um, more inclusive in my language and just things that I was completely mm-hmm. unaware of when I first created it. So that's something. And then um, I think, you know, the more that the business grows, like I'm always just really thinking like people say, well, how big do you want to grow the business? And, you know, I kind of have like a dollar amount in mind, but with a caveat of like, yeah, but I want to make sure that I still like the business, like, because mm-hmm. I don't have somebody else who's doing all the HR for me or doing all this other stuff. Like, I want to make sure that I still am able to do the parts of the business that I like to do. And of course you can hire people to help you with all those things, but you still need to know what's going on. Like, you know, that's something that I've done a lot of in the past is kind of abdicating responsibility going like, Hey, I don't want to think about this. So I'm going to hire you. And I would like you to just handle this for me. And then, you know, it's not going well, or I don't even know how it's going because I'm not checking in with the person or there's just really not a return on that investment. Like I'd like to see, I had that with taxes. Like I just was like, Hey, you're an accountant, just handle this. Well, until something got screwed up. And then I realized, Oh, it's not on them. If something gets screwed up, it's actually on me. Well, crap, you know, I have to, I do have to understand this. I can't just hide my head in the sand. So I think just being really, really thoughtful about the growth of the business and not rushing to do anything, thinking that like X dollar amount business is going to be better in some way. There's always new challenges. Like it is better in some ways, but it's also harder in other ways. So just knowing that there's that balance and just choosing it wisely. Yeah. Do you mind sharing what that dollar amount is that you have as the the target right now? I, You know, in my mind, I'm like, you know, 10 to 15 million sounds like really nice. More than mm-hmm. that sounds like a big business that... Mm-hmm might be a little bigger than I want. I don't think I'm going to be mad if I'm making, you know, if the business is making 10 to 15 million a year, (laughs) I think I'd be okay with that. (laughs) What's the kind of timeline that you're envisioning this goal? Um, I, at this point I set, I set 10 million as a 10 year goal about two years ago. So, um, so yeah, probably about eight more years. All right. So one of the things that I like to say about the show is that it is a show about building a better world disguised as a show about building better wellness businesses. So I'm curious when you hear the phrase building better, what does that mean to you in your life? Yeah, I just, I think it's like a willingness to burn down what isn't working, not always trying to like, you know, sometimes like with a house, you just need to do a tear down, right? There's like nothing to salvage and you just need to scrap it and start over, even if it's, you know, you're in the middle of whatever. And so I think building better really means never being so attached to your precious whatever it is that you're not willing to say goodbye to it to build something better. I really love this conversation with Katrina and I think that there's so much that we can all take away from it. In particular, how her clarity on exactly who her audience was and what they needed help with before she even started allowed her to very quickly gain traction with her podcast and her business. I also liked her way of thinking about sunk cost and how despite investing a lot of time or money into something, it may actually be holding a negative value for us. Katrina mentioned building better as burning down what isn't working. So to continue this conversation, I'd love to hear about something that it might be time for you to burn down. Maybe it's a career you need to transition out of, a program that is no longer aligned, or a belief you've had about yourself that's holding you back. 
head over to betterwellness.biz voice and leave me a message about what that is. And I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. To find out more about Katrina, you can search for Weight Loss for Busy Physicians wherever you listen to podcasts, follow her on Instagram at CoachKatrinaUbellMD, or find her online at KatrinaUbellMD.com, where you can find a number of free resources under the Resources tab. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and tell me something you took away. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe. In the next episode, I'll be back with a solo show about how to get crystal clear on who your target audience is and why that matters. And in next week's interview, I'll be speaking with Cher Hale of Ginkgo PR about how to use PR techniques to land media features. Thanks so much for spending this time with me. And until next time, keep building better. Better.